couple of quick things before I jump right into this. Um, if you are here for the first time and you came in after Pastor David got up and kind of shared and gave announcements and things, if would love you to open up your family news bulletin and there's a little connect card in there. Um, if you would fill that out, take it to the welcome center when you first came in this morning, which is right behind this wall. And we'd have a little special gift for you. But honestly, we just want to make sure you feel comfortable and welcome. We're so glad to have you here. The other thing is for members of the church and regular attenders, um, for people who've been here for the first time, maybe here for a few weeks, and we don't pass the offering plate around, but obviously we take an offering. But I like to make it intrinsic motivation, not extrinsic motivation. So um, it's something that we, we are a family. We are the body of Christ. And part of worship is giving. And so I want to encourage you um, to remember your giving. You can do it online. You can do it. There's offering boxes here. There's a giving station outside. Any of that is fine. Um, but I want you to continue to grow in your faith, and uh, giving is a part of that growth. So um, all to you I surrender everything, every part of me. And a song said, no turning back. I've made up my mind. I'm going to give you it all this time. I want, that, I want that song to roll in your mind, to go through your mind as we go through this sermon. Okay? Because I say this a lot, but the sermon started a while ago. All right? This, is, this isn't just the songs that are picked aren't just willy-nilly picked because this one will sound good this Sunday. They're a part of our worship. That song is really the kickoff of the sermon, if you will. No turning back. I've made up my mind. I'm going to give it all this time. 1 Kings 19, 19-21 says, So Elijah went from there and found Elisha, son of Sapheth. He was plowing with 12 yoke of oxen, and he himself was driving the 12th pair. Elijah went up to him and threw his cloak around him. Elisha then left his ox and ran after Elijah. Let me, let me kiss my father and my mother goodbye, he said, and then I will come with you. Go back, Elijah replied. What have I done to you? So Elisha left him and went back. He took his yoke of oxen and slaughtered them. He burned the plowing equipment to cook the meat and gave it to the people, and they ate. Then he, sat, then, he, then he set out to follow Elijah and became his servant. So last week, we kicked off this series called Seasons. All right, we kind of lay, we started laying the foundation. And if you, if you weren't here last week, you need to go online and hear the podcast or go grab the sermon from last week on the DVD or whatever. But you, you need to listen to that first sermon. This is kind of part two of that sermon. All right, so last week we kicked off this series talking about seasons of our lives. And this morning I want to talk about how, how you move from one season to another. Some of you, some of us are stuck in a spiritual rut or an emotional rut or in some kind of rut in our lives. Some of you are not in a rut. You are growing spiritually, but God wants you to take that, that leap of faith. He wants you to take that next step in your spiritual journey. And he's going to start pushing on you a little bit here. So the question is, how, how do we move from one season to the next? In 1 Kings 18, in verse 21, it says, Elijah went before the people and he said, How long will you waver between two opinions? We talked about this last week, kind of building our foundation. This is really the foundation of this entire series. How long will you waver between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. If Baal is God, follow him. In other words, make up your mind. 
Can't be lukewarm. Can't have one foot in the world, one foot in the word. You know what I mean? Make, make a choice. If the, if the Lord is God, then follow him. If you've made a commitment, if you said I'm a follower, I am a follower of Jesus Christ, then follow Jesus Christ. Or if you choose to follow the world, follow the world, but don't get stuck somewhere in the middle. And that question, how long will you waver between two opinions, is a question that every single one of us has to answer. We all have to answer the question. I know it was thousands of years ago he asked the question, but the question is more relevant today than I think the time that he asked the question. To begin a new series of your life, it, it, it really, um, it's going to take an awful lot. You need a strong foundation. You need to ask yourself, who is the Lord of my life? Okay, in order to, in order to come and, and go on to a new season of your life, you have to have a strong foundation to move from one foundation to the next foundation. In order to do that, you have to answer the question. You know, he's basically saying, how long will you waver between two opinions? The question is, who is the Lord of your life? Think about this. You think, well, I know the Lord of my life is I'm in church. It's Jesus. Okay, think about this, please. Who is the Lord of your life? Is it you? Is it your feelings and your experiences? You've had experiences. You've had feelings. You, something happens. And, you know, there's a topic that comes up, and you react to that topic based upon, usually, 90% of the population, their feelings and their experiences. People they know, things they've heard, how they feel. If you feel something, every issue you, you're, you're either for or against, most people base their opinions on how they live their lives and, and the steps they're taking, new seasons of life based upon their feelings and their experiences. Other people, it's culture, okay? Social pressure. You, there's a topic that comes up at work or at school with your friends. All of a sudden, everyone thinks this, so you're standing there. What do you think? Who is the Lord of your life? What, is the, what, what dictates the direction of your life? Who dictates the direction of your life? Culture? Social pressure? So everybody thinks this, gosh, I, I don't want to, you know, I don't want to be ostracized. I don't want people to belittle me. I don't want people to bully me. I don't want people to pick on me. I don't want people to think poorly of me. I don't want people to, I don't want, I'm so concerned with what everybody else thinks. So therein lies your answer. That is your master, if you will. That is the Lord of your life. Or is the Lord of your life God, God's word? That This is what dictates my decisions. When I go from one season to another, this is the foundation from which I launch and where I land. You've got to answer that question. Who's the Lord of your life? We had our men's Bible study. We have a men's Bible study on Wednesday mornings. 7 o'clock over at the Orca Center, which is the building. It used to be the thrift store. It's way down here, okay? It's on 6th Street. If you have any questions about where it is, you can talk to me afterwards. You're welcome. If you're a guy, you're welcome to come. We started talking about this, and this topic of, of Lord came up. And some of the guys were saying, like, when I think of Lord, you know, it's almost like a friendship. Or, and then I started studying, and I realized, wait, Lord means master. This is my master, I am a servant of my master. I obey my master. So when we're talking about Lord, and you think, well, nothing's mastering me. Yes, it is. The culture masters you and tells you how to think. You yourself, your experiences or your feelings have mastered you, and they dictate how you think and how you react and what you do. Something masters each of us. 
Who is your master? Who is your Lord? That's what we're talking about here. Without that foundation, when we start talking about these other topics of what does it mean to be a man? What does it mean to be a woman? And your family and indiv- like your identity and your roles and your responsibilities. When we move on to that. If we don't get this straight, okay, we're going to run into all kinds of problems. So we need to understand who the master of our lives is. What masters you? What dictates the direction of your life? Elisha didn't waver between two opinions. This is why I love, I love this story. Elisha wasn't wavering between two opinions. When Elijah threw his cloak over Elisha, okay, it, it wasn't, he, 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 his response was immediate. He didn't hesitate to follow God's call. There was no hesitation. And as we'll see, when he said, can I go back and say goodbye to my mother and father, okay, that was not an act of, of indecision or hesitation or confusion. He wasn't like, well, gee, you know, I, I, I need to, I'm, I got to, kind of decide and I go talk to mom and dad about it. That's not what he was saying. He wasn't looking for an excuse. Elijah's response shows more than anything else that he was already prepared for this. His life, we talked about this last week, the way he lived his life was in preparation, if you will, for this very call. So for Elisha, there's no decision to make. Okay, Elijah comes, throws his cloak around him, which means you're my predator. You come next. Okay, you're going to be a prophet. Okay, you're you're going to speak for the Lord. Elijah wasn't like, oh, gee, there was no indecision there. God said, God called, and he responded to that call. Many people, and including when I first read this, okay, see a similarity. They they kind of see this as similar to or the same as Luke chapter 9 verses 57 through 62, but it's completely different. Okay, I'm going to read you Luke 9, 57 through 62. Many of you have read this already. As they were walking along the road, a man said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. Jesus replied, foxes have dens and birds have nests, but the son of man has no place to lay his head. He said to another man, follow me. But he replied, first, let me go back and bury my father. Jesus said to him, now, just so you know, real quickly, I'm not going to get into all this, but his father wasn't dead. Okay? So the father could have been around for another 20 years. So I'm going to wait until my father dies, and I'm going to go bury my father. That's what he was really saying. Jesus said to him, let the dead bury their own dead, but you go and proclaim the kingdom of God, which is obvious when we come to Christ, our first responsibility. Still another said, I will follow you, Lord, but first let me go back and say goodbye to my family. Jesus replied, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for service in the kingdom of God. Keep that in mind as we go forward here. Here's the difference in Luke 9 and this, this passage, okay? In Luke 9, Jesus knew what was in these men's hearts. He knew what was in their hearts. He knew that there was a lack of commitment there, and they were just trying to figure a way out of really committing and following him. There's a big difference. A big difference. Jesus knew what was in their hearts. He knew they were just basically, again, making excuses to avoid God's call. Elisha, on the other hand, was showing respect and honor to his parents, and he wanted to celebrate. He wanted to celebrate this, uh, this calling of God in his life with his parents and this new season of his life going from one season where he was and what he was doing and the life that he had. He was now moving to a new season of his life. God was calling him, and he wanted to respect his parents, and he wanted to honor his, with his parents, and he wanted to celebrate with his parents, okay, this new season and this new calling in his life. 
life. It was a celebration and declaration of a, of a commitment to follow the Lord, his master, his God, okay, with his friends and family. And we see this in, in verse 21 as we go forward. We'll see this in 1 Kings 19, 21 in the next few minutes. So Elijah says to Elisha, he, give, he, give, he says, you know, yes, I'm going to go along with your request. And he says, go back. And then he adds, what have I done to you? And you read that, you're like, Elijah's, Elijah's kind of chastising him. Or he's, what, you know, that's not the case at all. That, that's not the case at all. Elijah was telling Elisha, go back and bid farewell to your family. For God has used me. Get this down, okay? God has used me to do something really miraculous in your life that's going to change you. But Elijah was basically saying to him that, that I want you to understand that it's God. God is the one who's calling you. Okay? It's God who's calling you. This is your call of God. God is calling you. I am a part of that process. God is using me, but God is calling you. He wanted Elisha to realize that it is God who's the one who's calling him. The implication is that Elisha is responsible, okay, to God and not to any man. That's important in this whole discussion. You think about it, what I just talked about. Elijah is saying to Elisha, you are responsible. This is your call of God. This is your call of God. This is God's call on your life. What have I done? Basically, stop there, right? What have I done? And no, this is what God has done in your life. So this is God's call in your life. You are responsible. Keep this in your mind, Elisha. You're responsible to God and not to any man for the rest of your life. This is, this is key. If we want to move to a new season in our lives, we need to realize, we need to understand that we answer to God. Okay, we answer, we are submissive to God's word. We are submissive to the Holy Spirit of God. We are not submissive. We don't answer to, we don't go along with, we don't, we don't bow down to, okay, the world, the culture, political, political pressure or social pressure or whatever kind of pressure they want to put on us. We don't bow those things. If you want to move to a new season of your life, if God calls you, you need to realize that God has called you and you have you then move according to what God has said and God has done in your life. God's truth, God's authority supersedes any human authority in any situation. And we need to understand that. We need to hold on to that truth. You know, in, in, uh, we, we see the same kind of thing in, in the book of Acts. You know the book of Acts, chapter 5, I believe it's verse 29. And, uh, and Paul and the other, uh, other disciples say, you know, we, we have to obey God rather than man. It's our responsibility. We need to obey God rather than man. As God's people, we need to remember that our ultimate responsibility is to the Lord, okay, and not to anyone else. We need to understand that we are ultimately accountable to God with, with what we do with our lives. God can use mature people in your life to teach you, disciple you. That's good. So he uses mature people in your life to disciple you, to motivate you, to inspire you. But in, inspire you and motivate you and teach you what? God wants those people, those mature people in your life to guide you according to his will, closer to his will and to his purpose for your life. 
That's their responsibility, to guide you closer to the will and the purposes of God. And that also holds true for people who try to lead you astray. There are people who try to lead you astray. The devil maybe do it, that kind of thing. But here's the reality. You are still responsible for your own decision. Just like you can't, just like you're not responsible to people before God for, for even, you know, them discipling you. You're ultimately responsible for how you walk with God. If people try to lead you astray, you still need to stand on the word of God, that strong foundation. You still are responsible for the decisions you make, whether your friends ask you to do it or not. I mean, how many times have parents say, if your friend asked you to jump off a bridge, would you do it? You know, because my, my friends asked me to do it. No, you don't jump. It doesn't matter what kind of who's leading you where. You, 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 are not, you are led because you choose to allow yourself to be led by people rather than stand on the truth of God. So, so here, here's just a, a little side note here. It's, the, it's really the um, now what question. Okay, that, that question, now what? When, when something negative happens in your life, or something, um, you have an experience, or someone maybe has wronged you, you've been wronged by others, and maybe it's really been a difficult experience in your life, you still have to stop and you have to ask yourself, okay, because you're responsible to God, now what? Now that this has happened, now what? Remember that question, write it down, now what? I've been through a negative experience, something's happened to me, this didn't work out the way I wanted it to, this person has wronged me, and for some people that ends it, and they're like captured in that moment, but Here's the reality. You've got to ask yourself, now what? Are you going to be a victim or, or are you going to find victory in Christ? Is your, are you going to live your life as a victim now because this has happened? Or are you going to find victory in Christ? You cannot move to a new season of your life if you see yourself as a victim. If you live with a victim mentality, I know it's been difficult. I know you've been wrong. I know that didn't work out the way you thought it was because someone got behind the scenes and stiffed you. I understand that. But now what? Now what? Is that it? Is it all over? You cannot live as a victim. You need to live in victory in Christ or you're never going to be able to move that next season of your life. Verse 20, 21 continues. So Elisha left him and went back. Okay, this is how we know that he wasn't, this wasn't about like, oh, I got things to do and I'm not sure I want to follow you. So Elisha left him and went back. He took his yoke of oxen and slaughtered them. Obviously, He's the guy, he, you know, he's the son. So the oxen he was using were the best oxen. So he slaughters them, okay? He burns the plowing equipment, all the plowing equipment, to cook the meat and gave it to the people, and they ate. Then he set out to follow Elijah and became his servant. The oxen, the, the, the plow, and the yoke represented, okay, the, the, the tools of his trade, Okay, what are the tools of your trade? It may be your computer because you do, that's what you do. It may be the fact that, tool, what are the tools of your trade? What, what if you're, if you're you, you pick, a, you pick a, um, a different job or whatever, and you have tools of your trade, hammers for people who are in construction, and maybe something else for, you know, if you're a lawyer, what are the tools of your trade? What Elijah does is he all those things represent the tools of his trade. They represent his past life, okay? 
So all the things that represent the tools of his trade, his past life, all those things, all right, he disposes of them. Verse 21 is Elijah's declaration of commitment to following the Lord. Listen, if God is calling you to a new season of your life, think about what you need to do. This is a declaration of commitment to follow the Lord. You know that the Bible talks about the old has gone, the new has come, right? And throughout our lives, that's true. The old has gone, the new has come. Every day, what's great about being a follower of Jesus Christ is you say, well, I'm stuck in this, right, in this place right now, but if you keep moving forward, you're a new person. 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 A year down the road, people say, well, this person, is, they, they, have a, they have a terrible temper. That was three years ago. This person doesn't have a terrible temper anymore. Why? Because they, the old has gone, the new has gone. The old is gone, the new has come. And they keep putting... Putting that to death, they keep putting it to death and they move forward and their lives are changed. This represented all this represented his old life. Basically, Elisha answers Elijah's question, how long will you waver that he asks all of us? He answers the question, how long will you waver between two opinions? Forget two opinions. My old life Boom, my new life forward. He, he answers that question. He burns the bridges of, to his old life. He burns, literally burns it. Can't go back and plow tomorrow. I burned it. The cows, the, 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 the ox are dead. I burned them and fed them to my friends and family as a celebration to my new found season. He burns the bridges to his past life. He's leaving one season and is committing himself to the next season. I mean, this is so applicable to our lives. I mean, just own this. He burns the bridges to his old life, his past. And he's making, he's taking leave, he's leaving one season and he's committing to the next. His desire is, his main focus is to know God and to do God's will. God has called me. I want to know him and I want to do his will. We will never, we will, you will, I will, we will never become the people that we were created to be if we do not burn the bridges to our past. And they know what I'm talking about. I'm talking about hanging on to things. You will never become, you will never enter a new season of your life with the freedom that Christ wants if you do not burn the bridges to your past. You can't move on, seriously. You can't move on from that addiction that you have if you have it hiding in your house. Well, I gave that up, whatever. But you know that you still have, you still have a stash. I don't know. You pick the stash, okay? You still have a stash. You can still get to it if you want to. You don't totally. You haven't. You really haven't burned it all. You've just. You've walked away from it until Satan comes along and starts dragging you back in. There's nothing to drag you to if there's nothing there. He burned it. You want to move from one season to the next? You burn whatever it is that you're holding on to. You, you burn those things. You let those things go. We see the same principle in Philippians chapter 3, verses 10 through 14. Listen, listen to these words, and I'm going I'm to accentuate it even more as we go down. I want to know Christ. You're all believers. This is us, okay? I want to know Christ. Yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participate in his suffering. Becoming like him in his death. 
Okay, that is, man, that is spiritual maturity. And so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. Now, not that I have already obtained all this or have already arrived at my goal, but listen to these words, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ has taken hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. But one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward, straining, straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. Does that not just scream at you? I'm screaming at you. But does that not just scream at you like press on, pulled, you're driven, you're pulled to go forward, to move forward, to move forward. To let go, to burn the things that are holding you back from becoming the person that God has created you to be. I love that verse. That principle has carried me through, honestly, that, that, the verses like this have carried me through my spiritual life. It's the ability, okay, to let go of the past. I don't, I don't have to dwell on my, I don't dwell on my failures, I don't really dwell on the wrongs that people have done to me. I don't dwell on those things. I don't sit around. Someone wrongs me. I don't, I don't sit around and dwell on that and, and let it kind of eat me alive. But I use, I use my past. I use my past for future gain. I learn from experiences. I don't live in them. I learn from them. I use them to benefit me in the future, but I don't. I don't let them own me. I don't let them master me. You can't let them master you. I've watched people, listen, this is so important. Get this word picture in your mind, okay? I have watched people become suspended in one moment of time. Pastors, staff people in other, other churches I've worked with, um, people in jobs I've worked with, people that I've, as a pastor, come to know. I've watched people become suspended in one moment of time. I call it their son experience. Not their S-O-N experience, S-U-N experience. It's like, okay, you have, a, you have a, a, something happen to you, an experience or, or, um, or you know, just a moment in time where something poor or bad happens to you. And that becomes your son. And then everything else in your life begins to revolve around that moment. Picture this in your mind. So it happened. You had a bad experience. You had something. Someone wronged you. Something happened to you. I don't care what it is. And, and it was a sin on their part. It was wrong. Oh, I'm admitting that right here. But then that son experience is there. And you're suspended in that moment of time. Now, you still move about your life and do what you do. But, you, but it all comes back to that. And everything, every other experience, every other experience in your life revolves around that moment. Think about that. You're talking about walking with Christ. No turning back. You're moving forward. You're moving forward. You're not moving forward. You're not moving forward. It revolves around that experience. They don't move forward. They just walk in circles, basically, is what's happening. When that happens in your life, you're not moving forward. You're just walking in circles. Elisha was making a statement. He was telling his family. He was telling his friends that he was entering a new season of life, a new season of life. So breaking free from burning it, getting out of the circle, pulling myself out of the circle. He was, he was going into a new season with new goals 
and new experiences and new expectations and new commitments and new priorities. He was celebrating this new experience in his life. He had broken free. He had said, you know, he had he was wealthy. Okay, the oxen, all that were there was that was his wealth, man. And he said, no, I'm letting that go. I'm leaving it behind and I'm making sure I can never look back to it because I just burnt it all. Elijah was making a statement. He was making a statement in the Bible. Listen, in the Bible, standing still. Okay, standing still, stopping, standing still or not moving forward when you're commanded to move forward always ends poorly. God says, I com- he commands you to not stand still. Christians should never stand still. They should always be moving forward. Right? The armor of God, the only place you're vulnerable with the armor of God on you is in your back. You keep moving forward. Keep the enemy in front of you. Fight the enemy in front of you. Don't turn your back. Don't, 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 no fear. Forward. Anytime God commands you to move forward and not stop, and you do, there's problems. In Genesis 7, 19, 17, it says, As they brought them out, one said, the angel said, Escape for your life. Do not look back or stop anywhere in the valley. Escape to the hills, lest you be swept away. Then in Genesis chapter 19 and verse 26, it continues, But Lot's wife, behind him, looked back, and she became a pillar of salt. When God calls us to move forward into a new season of life, there is no, there is no looking back. Elijah was determined, Elisha was determined to never look back. His calling was final. God had declared it. He was obedient to it. It was final. Regardless, here's the thing, regardless of even what lay ahead, because that's scary too. You know, looking back, you don't want, God says, don't look back. Put your, when you, Jesus said it, right? Whoever puts his hand to the plow, if he looks back, worthless, no good. Don't look back. But sometimes looking forward and seeing what's ahead, that's kind of scary. Even, especially if there's a corner and you don't know what's around the corner. Right? That's, even, that's scary. But Elisha was saying, I'm committed. I burned. Th- I, I can't go back. Only way I can go is forward. So regardless of what lay ahead, regardless of what's coming... I'm going to move forward. If I'm, going to, if I'm going to enter a new season of my life, my friends, here's the thing. If you and I are going to enter a new season of our lives, that needs to be our mindset. What I just described to you, it has to be our mindset. Not, con- not concerned about the past. You burn, what's, you burn the past, the old life, let it go. Moving forward, you're not sure what lays ahead, but you need to keep moving forward. Elisha was teaching us that surrender, surrender, looking forward and going, oh boy, surrender, not an option here. Surrender is not an option. That, he's teaching us that there is, there is no going back. Going forward is the only option. Even if things look difficult in the future, there is no stopping. There is no surrender. That's why last week we talked about counting the cost When God calls you, when God calls you to do something, you need to count the cost. You need to think through what is this going to cost me? You're making the same decision, but you have to count the cost. You have to understand there is going to be roadblocks. When God gives you a vision, God gives you a vision, right? And you're here. He doesn't give you all the details in the middle. I've I've learned that. 
Because I think if he told you what was going to happen, you're just going to crumple in a ball and you wouldn't do it. So you have to actually go through, but you have to get in the mindset. Here's, if, if I'm going to impact the lives of orphans and widows in another country, we're going to create jobs for them. And we're going to do this for them. And we're going to create, we want them to be educated. We want them to have new lives. We don't want them to die of waterborne diseases. It is going to take, okay, now that's cool and I'm excited about it. But right here is where the rubber meets the road. Because it's going to be really hard. The enemy is going to fight you every step of the way. But you cannot have this, this attitude of surrender. When God calls you, we need to respond to God's call with reckless abandon. You need to, this is where you need to grab a sword. And if there's an army in front of you, well, you know, plow into them. Swing it as hard as you can. Just keep moving forward because God, when God calls us, we need to fight the battle with reckless abandon. Words like quit or give up or throw in the towel should be stripped from our vocabulary. I mean, those, that mindset, those words, when God calls you to do something, when you want to move from one season of your life to the next, words like quit and give up, they need to be, they need to be ripped, they need to be stripped from your vocabulary. When, when we are called by God, nothing should stand in the way of fulfilling that call, of fulfilling that purpose. Second Corinthians, 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 4 through 10 says this, Rather, instead of giving up, rather, as servants of God, we, com- we commend ourselves in every way, in great endurance, in troubles, in hardships, in distress, in beatings, imprisonment, and riots, in hard work, sleepless nights, and hunger, in purity, and understanding, patience, and kindness, in the Holy Spirit, and in sincere love, in truthful speech, in the power of God, with weapons of righteousness in the right hand and in the left, through glory and dishonor, bad report and good report, genuine yet regarded as impostors, known yet regarded as unknown, dying, yet we still live on, beaten and yet not killed, sorrowful, yet always rejoicing, poor, yet making many rich, having nothing, yet possessing everything. Regardless of what the world throws at you, what they say about you, even though it's not true, we press on. We press on to fulfill the calling that God has in our lives. We cannot fulfill the calling that God has on our lives if we refuse to move from one season of our lives to the next. Some of us have been stuck in the same season of life spiritually for a long time. That day is over. That season is over. I I want to be careful, but if you want to stay where you are and you're comfortable resting in your spiritual environment, this is probably not the church for you. Probably not the church for you. If you want to go and just hunger down and feel comfortable and hear some niceties and not, not really get challenged, because it doesn't really matter. As long as, you're, as long as you're coming and giving, it's fine. It, you, as long as you're coming and giving, it's not fine with the leadership of our church. We are the body of Christ. We need to be constantly growing. You say you're a follower of Jesus Christ. Well, Jesus Christ is going somewhere. And he wants you to follow him. And what is his ultimate goal of following him? To become like him. If you refuse to move from the season of life that you're in now, if I, let's just talk about me. If I, as the pastor, refuse to move on from the season of life that I'm in right now, 
I'm sinning. I'm being disobedient to God. I am nowhere near conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. I have so, much, so many areas I need to chip, so many things that God needs to work on, so many things I need to overcome. And if I'm saying, well, you know, I know the word and I can get up and speak and I, I'm 55 years old. I've been doing this for a long time. That's yada, yada, yada. Fine, fine, fine. Jesus wants me to continue to move forward, to grow in my faith, to grow in my relationship with Jesus Christ. You should expect that of me. I expect that of you. You know why? It's not because I expect it of you, right? What do we say in the very beginning? Elijah said to Elisha, it isn't me that called you. It isn't me that's your master. It isn't me. It's God. God is the one who calls you. You gave your life not to me. You gave your life to Jesus Christ. to be. He's the Lord and Savior of your life. So all I'm doing is relaying to all. I'm, first, I read it, relay it to myself. I'm relaying to you what the word of God is saying. If someone pitches easy believism to you, okay, tells you things you like to hear, um, they're probably selling you something, okay? Because what God is calling us to do, when when people behave that way with Jesus, he basically confronted them and say, "You're, you're not worthy of following. You don't, because here's the reality. He's saying, you don't want to follow. You're giving me lip service, but you truly don't want to follow. You know, guys, we can change the world. It doesn't take a church of 40,000 people to change the world. You know what it takes? A remnant of people with a desire to be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ with a relentless spirit that they will not be stopped. They will not be stopped. That's what it takes. Read your Bible. Whenever there's a big battle and there's a whole bunch of people involved, God usually cuts them down. I mean, his, his people usually whittles it down to a remnant where he does something miraculous. He doesn't, need, he doesn't need thousands or millions of people to change the world. He needs a group of people who are willing to stand by him, walk with him, obe- be obedient to him, march forward with relentless passion. That's what he's looking for. When God, when God calls you to a new season of life, There is no looking back or making excuses. I love Winston Churchill. Winston Churchill was a very poor student when he was a child. Didn't do very well in school. I don't know if all you knew that. He didn't do very well at all. Do you know, when when he went into politics, he lost every one of his elections up until the point where they appointed him prime minister at at the age of 62. He He lost those elections. He just, you know, every single election, he was defeated, except then. And what is Winston Churchill, what does this man say about failure, about giving up? He says, never give in. Never, 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 never. In nothing, great or small, large or petty. Never give in except to convictions of honor and good sense. Never yield to force. Never yield to the apparently overwhelming might of the enemy. Never. That's what we're called. That's what our call is here. That we, as the followers of Jesus Christ, would continue to, look, to, to walk forward. Why? Because there's so much need in this world. Someone needs to step up and sacrifice and become the person, become the people that God has created them to be in order to impact these other people's lives. As followers of Jesus Christ, we need to learn to overcome obstacles. We need to learn to overcome obstacles, to solve problems, and to create opportunities as we move into our new seasons of life. 
life. That we have to have that mindset. We are a global community. This is our vision. We are a global community of Christ followers, awakening imagination, igniting passion, and unleashing, and that's what I'm talking about this morning, unleashing purpose. Awaken the imagination. God, what can you do with my life? Awaken the imagination, ignite that passion, and unleash that purpose. That is what God is calling us. By burning the plow, Elisha was burning, okay? He was burning the bridges to his past. He left himself with no other options. He took on this new season of life with passion. Elijah is, Elisha is teaching us. He's teaching us that if we are going to move to the next season of our lives, that we need to be prepared. We need, you and I need to be prepared. He, he became Elijah's, okay, servant, if you will, his attendant and his student. Listen, he became, he was basically, Elijah was discipling and mentoring Elisha. And when that discipleship had taken place, he was prepared when he was called. When God needed him, he was ready. We've got to ask ourselves the question. I need to ask myself the question, am I ready? Well, you say, you're the pastor, of course you're ready. Wait, am I ready for what God is calling, going to call me to do next? I don't mean leaving Grace Chapel. I love this place. I hope to be growing old and gray with all of you. I want to die here, okay? I want to be the old pastor who's not really kind of, you know, have any responsibility anymore, but I walk around hugging people. You know, that's my, I'm the pastor of hugs. You know what I'm saying? That is okay. You know, oh, Joe, just leave that old guy alone. He just, he used to be the pastor of the church. He's fine. He's like 98 years old and still walking around bugging people. That's okay. That's what I want to do. I, I want to be able to do that. But here's the thing. We, my friends, need to be prepared for the next season of our lives. What is God going to call me to do within Grace Chapel in the next season of my life? Elisha was prepared because he was prepared through Elijah and his impact on, on, on his life. Second Kings 3.11 says this, but Jehoshaphat asked, is there no prophet of the Lord here through whom we may inquire of the Lord? An officer of the king of Israel answered, Elisha. Son of Shaphat is here. He used to pour water on the hands of Elijah. He was his servant. Would wash his hands, wash his feet. He he was his he was his servant. His time with Elijah, Elisha's time with Elijah taught him humility, taught him sacrifice, taught him submission taught him loyalty, taught him faithfulness, taught him obedience, taught him to endure. He learned, hear hear me, he learned to be a servant. He learned to be a servant. We struggle with these qualities in in modern Christianity. We struggle with them. We're more concerned about people showing us respect. You got to show me respect. You know who I am? Do you know what I've done? You show me, you don't, you need to show me respect. We're more concerned about people showing us respect than we are about learning to become humble servants of God, to be servants of God, to be humble before God. These, these traits that I just described to you that he learned, these traits are completely necessary. You need these qualities. We have to have these responses. We have to have these qualities to understand who we are, listen, in relation to God and in relation to others. What, are, what is my role in this area of my life? What are my responsibilities in this area of my life? What is, what is my identity? If you don't have this down, what he was taught 
by Elijah, by Elijah if you don't have that down, then you're not going to truly understand my, your role, your responsibilities, and your identity. These are topics we're all going to be, we're going to be discussing over the next few weeks. They're vital to understanding, and they're vital to our preparation for what God is going to do in our lives next. I need to humbly stand before God in submission as a servant to my master, waiting for him to tell me what he wants me to do. And I need to be prepared for what he's going to ask me to do. Listen, if you want to be a leader, first you need to learn how to lead. If you, if you, if you want to give direction, you first have to learn how to take direction. And I, I, when I was thinking about that, I thought to myself, man, when you were younger, mm, I'd like to go back and apologize to some people. Because if I want to be in a position where I give direction, first, I need to learn. Okay, take this, everyone just take this to your own heart, okay, and apply it to yourself. I need to learn how to take direction. In order for me to be faithful, I need to learn what it is, what, what faithfulness is. I need to be taught. I need to engross myself in those things. Listen to Luke 16:10. Whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much. And whoever is dishonest with very little will also be dishonest with much. In Mark chapter 10, verses 43 through 45, it reminds us, but whoever wishes to become great among you, listen to this, listen, just listen to this. Whoever wishes to become great among you shall be your servant. And whoever wishes to be first shall be slave to all, slave to all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve. My first job as the leader of this church is to be a servant of the church. I serve. Is more, it's, it's more important that I learn how to wash your feet than I do telling you what to do. I'm the leader, and you do this, and you should do that, and whatever else. It's more important for me to love you, okay, than it is for me to, come to tell you what to do, to serve you. I think pastors a little bit have lost this in, as time has gone on, that you're a shepherd, you're a servant of God to the people. I, I, this church doesn't exist for you to all serve me and lift me up and make my name great and look at what we're doing. We exist together, first and foremost, for me to serve you, to wash your feet. My job is to invest in you so you outshine me in the kingdom of God. If I can invest in your lives and you do things so great in the kingdom of God that you're like, if we were stars in the heavens, that my, sh- my star shone the least, your stars shone the brightest, I win. I win. I win. I leave this world knowing that I've accomplished everything that God has called me to accomplish. But whoever wishes to become great among you shall be your servant. And whoever wishes to be first shall be your slave to all. For even the Son of Man did not come to, to be served, but to serve. Elisha wasn't afraid to confront the culture that dominated his time. Even though all the people that surrounded him, all of his people, all of his people, okay, were caught up in this culture and were following the culture, 
it, it, it didn't deter him at all. There was no deterrent there. It didn't matter what everyone else said. Elisha was called by God and didn't care what man or men or women said. Didn't matter because he was called by God. He knew in his heart. Listen, guys, he knew in his heart. He knew in his heart he was called by God, that he was chosen by God and he was willing to follow God's call in his life regardless of the consequences. If you say this morning, if the words have ever come out of your mouth that you said, I am a follower of Jesus, then you have been, listen to me please, called by God. Okay, you have been called by God. You have been chosen by God. The only question is, are you willing to follow him regardless of the consequences? Are you willing to burn what you're holding on to in the past and not fear what might be coming in the future? Are you willing to follow him regardless of the consequences? If we are, here's the thing. If we are, we are unstoppable. We are unstoppable. We are dangerous. We become a very dangerous place. This church becomes dangerous because Satan can't stop us. Greater is he that is in me than he is in the world. I'm I'm a royal priesthood. I'm a holy nation. I'm a person belonging to God. Greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. Satan can't stop us. God just commanded us to do it, so he's not going to stop us. So let's answer this question. What is the only thing that can stop us? Who's the only thing that can stop us? Anyone? Us. God, thank you so much for this time that we can spend together. I know, Lord, this is kind of difficult and challenging for us. I know sometimes this is not what... Um, would be preached in a church because it doesn't sometimes tickle our ears and make us feel really good and we're being challenged to move forward. But God, I pray with all of my heart. I really do. Start with me, Lord. I mean, start with me. I mean, if there are things in my life that need to be put away, if there are, there are things that are holding me back and that I'm not even aware of, I don't care. I really don't. Please just start with me. Start with the leadership, with the elders, with the staff with the other leaders in the church that have responsibility overseeing this flock, I pray that you start with us and that you would impress upon our hearts the things in our lives that we need to change. Areas of our lives that we won't give up because we're afraid. We're afraid to give those things up, Lord, because we, we're in control and we, we hold on to those things. We're in control. We don't want to give control to you. We don't want to say that out loud. We just want to live it out in our lives. So we call it out and we ask, dear God, that you would start with us. Start with me. Strengthen me, encourage me, do what, you, do what you need to do in my life in order to get me to the next season of my life. I want to submit to you, Lord God, wholeheartedly, but I ask that you do whatever you need to do. And I pray that you do that for every single one of us. That you would, you would, you would Lord, impress upon each of our hearts where we need to be in our spiritual lives and move us to that place. You love us so much. We know everything you're going to do is because of love and encouragement, Lord. You want to encourage and love us and support us and and help us to become more like your son. Do that in our lives, Lord. Do that. We give you permission. I give you. I I can't speak for everyone. I give you permission. I pray, Lord, that we would all at some point in our lives give you permission to do the things you need to do to make us the people that you've created us to be. I love you. I love these people with all my heart, Lord. Thanks Thanks for the privilege that you've given me to serve them to be their shepherd. Thanks for that privilege, Lord God. I pray that I would always 
uh, do my best to live up to it. In Jesus' precious and holy name we pray. Amen.